Hi, everybody. <laughs> hey, squad. What's going on? Hey, squad. Hey, fam. Hey, fam. Ew. Sorry. I'm oh, saying wow. ew to me, not like you to say. <laughs> Have you guys been? Yeah. All five to ten of you, maybe like a spouse or a girlfriend or a friend who you're like, oh, my God, my friends are so funny. And then you played it. And it's like a little awkward. I know. That would be. Oh, I hate that. Like when someone's like, do you want to come see my friend's band? And I'm like, I mean, I do. But please don't ask me my opinions after. Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm so grateful that I don't know anyone who does improv. <gasps> I, you did. I, I would, did. No, I, no, but but I'm sorry. I would sorry. see you do improv. No, but see, people say that and like they would be like, why don't you ever invite me to your improv shows? And I'm like, because I'm a good person. <laughs> what if? And I was never funny in them because it's it's a student show and you're nervous and all that. And I, I already am better at like this than I am at improv. <laughs> um, but no, I was like, guys, because it's so awkward. Like, what if you what if it's not funny and you had to pay five dollars? I'm not going to give you five dollars to come see me. Right. Right. Yeah. It's up to you. It's hard. It's hard. I actually have a very strong memory of doing improv back in drama in high school. And I have like the most embarrassing memory of like doing it wrong and everyone staring at me like I'm still like. I could conjure the memory today and think about how embarrassed I am about it. Well, okay. And it was probably it was when we went to high school together. Yeah. Okay. I, I know who was in that class and I'm already on your side. <laughs> I'm, I already know that you were probably doing it right and very funny and everyone in that room. It just. No, I didn't do it right. They were like, oh, do this like Richard Simmons. And I was thinking like Richard, like Gene Simmons. Oh, from Kiss. oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, that's not, I didn't know who Richard Simmons was. That's not even not doing it right. That's just you confusing the theme. That's all. I know. So I was like, uh, I was like, how do I do something like Gene Simmons? Like I stick my tongue out and I play rock and roll. I don't fucking know. Yeah. You're like, this isn't funny. But even Richard Simmons, when, that's a bad suggestion. It's not funny. Yeah, that isn't funny. No, don't make even fun of I Richard Simmons. I knew it, Simmons. I don't think I could have made it funny. Should we do some light business before we get down to the business. Yes, we have some things to say. We do. First Everyone's of all, in trouble. Every, every, you guys are in huge trouble. Just kidding. We want to talk about how much we love you. We just wanted to shout out our new listeners. JT, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your really nice text. That, I mean, when you're starting out, that truly means a lot. Like It really does. And thank you, Helena. I saw you share our uh, posts on Instagram. So I don't, I don't think you're an SVU fan, so if you're not listening, that's cool, but you're a queen for sharing our content. We be small guys, so yeah, just... Yeah. Oh God, I hated that I... Hated the way I said that. I, keep it in. Uh, you want me to Hold keep it in? Hold me fucking accountable. Okay, no, I'm definitely keep doing it now. all of this in. Guys, I'm a cringy fucking mess. Keep it in. You're cringy. My laugh is disgusting, <laughs> and it's throughout, so I can barely cut it out. <laughs> so if you're listening and we haven't said your name, um, we hate you. Just kidding. Like DM us or text us. I would love to shout you out. We want to say thank you. Yeah. And if there's anything, I mean, I'm treading lightly when I say this, but if there's anything about the episode that you're like, wait, that was different or I never thought of it this way, go into our Instagram account and you can write it under the comments and stuff. Get into a comment fight. Oh my God. Yeah. Get into a comment fight. Be like, Brittany, I think that Monique Jeffries, little Lilith Vest are tacky. Fuck you. I will fucking go to town fighting you in the comments. Let's fucking go. Yeah, no, that would be wrong. But please do call it out. Like, definitely just go. Because, you know, go to Instagram, just complain, tag us in something. Yeah. You can be offended, I guess. Please don't be. But if you want us to change something, please don't tell us we're both truly sensitive. One of us is a water sign. One is a fire. You'd think we could take critique. I can't. I mean, I will take it eventually, but I will get angry at first. Keep it to yourself if you hate us. Write it down on a piece of paper, 
crumple it up and like bury it in the dirt. So it's out there, but I'm never going to know. Because like it, we don't have a lot to work with. So <laughs> have you seen these fucking episodes? We are we are doing our best. We are fighting for our lives. Right. All right. So this is Law and Order Special Victims Unit, episode six, sophomore jinx. And we said in the oh last. Oh, my God. I wrote sophomore hijinks. I'm yeah, l- no. Is it sophomore hijinks? No, it is sophomore jinx. I wrote hijinks. And then I kept thinking, I'm like, that's a really inappropriate name for this episode. Hijinks. This is rape. <laughs> No, it's me. It's it's called sophomore jinx. Do you know what that refers to? No, it doesn't. I'm so bad. I'm just like, these are names. It's oh, God, I looked it up and now I can't remember. But it's basically when when you're really good at something the first time and then you come back around to do it again. It's this like the sophomore jinx. OK, you know what? I feel like I have heard of this, but it may be a different name. It's like how uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, great first novel. And then. uh Harper Lee tried to write something else and it sucked. That's her sophomore jinx. It didn't suck. She just could never write anything else. That's, I mean, that's a hard one to come back from. Come back from. I know, you write the great American novel the first time around. I blame that's what happened to John Heater, I think, too, from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah. Bitch, slow down. I watched Blades of Glory the other night and I will defend that movie to my dying breath. Right. So, but that's the thing. It's like, why couldn't he keep doing movies like that? That's true. But what happened? that movie so much i know it's so good i love the i love the that's the only incest plot line that i think it's funny well it's because they're married in real life that's and they're why. doing it like very tongue-in-cheek it's not like no. fucking game of thrones which i've never watched Ew, no game of thrones it's egregious i don't care i got made to watch that forced to watch it sorry it didn't sound it, i was forced i was kidnapped and forced to watch it oh my god i'm calling olivia <laughs> she'd be <laughs> she'd be furious she'd be like who kidnaps a woman to watch game of thrones munch would be like many women were kidnapped many days to watch many videos and that's something that still goes on today and women are terrible ah uh, yes the quintessential damsel in distress kidnapped by her jilted lover into a dragon's lair <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> that was amazing that was improv <laughs> improv improv Dun, 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 dun. Oh, um, I had a note that we didn't really have too many special guest stars that I knew about, but the woman who plays Susan Bowman, who's the um, roommate, her name is Claire Lottier, and she was Charlotte Denon, the reporter from Elf, who gets roasted in public um, when the little boy reads Santa's. And she wants a Tiffany diamond ring from her boyfriend and him to get off his butt and commit already. Right. So that's her. I was like, I know this bitch. I was like, I know this bitch. She's a 90s looking bitch, but stop saying bitch. I have many comments about her. So original air date, October 25th, 1999, directed by Clark Johnson. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Also, every single one of these murders happened on a Monday. It's like very, um, they let the detectives have their weekend and then they do a murder so they can spend the week solving. You know it's Kathy Kathy Stabler's fault. She's like, can we please like hold the murders until Monday? Because my husband, my husband, Detective Elliot Stabler needs to be home on the weekends. Even though it makes no, this comes up again where they're like, oh, you're never home. Anyway, I digress. I digress. Dun dun. Opening scene. So girl and guy college kids are... Like it, there, it's weird because we open in on them and they're sitting like as though they barely know each other. And then she goes, ha, fat chance. And then he picks that moment to like slither on up to her. He's so she's beautiful and he's just some redheaded dweeb per my notes. She looks 15 years his senior. Now, that doesn't mean she's not beautiful, but she looks like 
She looks older. She looks like a thir- as a 32-year-old woman. She looks like a 32-year-old woman who was invited to a college social. So they're on this, what like appears to be a stone terrace, and he's coming on to her, and she's like dis- disinterested. He's like, well, I helped you with calculus. He's like getting up on her. He like, he like sidled up to her, kind of like the ghosts in Mario, like when they're coming up to you with their arms outstretched, and they're yes. just like, Ugh. that's how he did it. So he starts trying to kiss her neck as she's trying to push him off, and we think this is the SVU. Yeah. When he exclaims, oh, my God. So they turn around and there is a girl lying in the dirt behind them. And she is, at, to our knowledge at this point, unconscious or dead with a head wound. Yeah. You can, t- you can tell she has a head wound for once instead of them being like, there was a head wound that we never fucking see. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Casa de Stabler. It's <sighs> the middle of the night. Stabler is scrounging around for his car keys in the dark. I'm imagining he never puts them where he's supposed to. Like, Kathy's like, all right, Elliot, when you come in, you hang your car keys on this little, like, hook we have, like, by the door. And he's like, yeah, I totally do that. And instead, he threw them on his desk under some papers. I see. Okay, so he was, like, about to leave. And that is when Maureen walks in the house. And Stabler looks like he thinks it's a prowler at first. Um, but she is so lucky he didn't pull his fucking gun on her. Right. What? He's a very bad cop. I would have been like, freeze, get down on the ground, motherfucker. Exactly. You know, I think that too. We're like grabbed. I would have grabbed a pot. I wouldn't even have waited. No. I would have just thrown it at her. <laughs> but her dumb ass, she sneaks in through the front door and he's like, what Boring. the fuck? Like, where have you been? Like, what are you like? What are you doing? She's like, I was out. Yeah, she looks like. She, it's like she looks nervous, but also like she has to pee. Like, you know, when you're like, oh, my God, I have to get home and pee right now. And then yeah, she probably did have to pee. Yeah, that's kind of the face. Like, but she looked scared, but also like she had to pee. And so he goes, what were you doing? Nothing. Where were you? Out. Who were you with? Nobody. And I'm like, what? So we learn later that this is 2.30 in the morning. Right. Okay. She's also. 15 years old. I'm, <sighs> I was going to ask you, Brittany, if what would you do? Because in my mind, this is just so not the big deal that he made it. Oh, I would have made a big deal about it. If my husband came home at 2.30 in the morning, I'd be like, where the f***? And That's different. And couldn't tell me where the f***? That's She's different. She's 15 years old. She needs to be able to, she needs to tell him where the fuck she was. No, she it's does. It's a school night, too. It's not like this is Saturday. No. This is like a Monday night. It's like a Monday. And she was dressed, like, to go out. You know? Dressed to go out. To go out. If she was 18 and he did this, no. But she is 15 years old. She, she looks like a child. She does. I think she's 15. She looks 12. No, you're right. She and, actually oh, appropriate no casting. Way. Okay, now we'll get more into it, but essentially she gives him no answers. He tells her, all right, then you're grounded until you tell me what happened or you're 18, whichever comes first, which it sounds like it's going to be when she turns 18. <laughs> she stomps up the stairs. My favorite part is she goes, can't we just talk about this? And I'm like, he tried. He tried. You wouldn't tell him. And then she <laughs> what also- do you mean we can just talk about this? He asked you questions and you didn't answer. So no, apparently not. And you're being, you are being disrespectful because like what? And, and she kind of makes a comment at him like, oh, it's because he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm heading out to do my job, which, you know, is very dangerous and it could be you someday. And she goes, yeah, that's typical. What is with this family and not understanding the parameters of his job? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I think that was a very 90s thing to be the, my dad wasn't home because he had to work all the time. So I think it's just kind of that. I digress. Dun, 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 dun. Crime scene. We're back at, oh, and this is. The college is called St. Raymond's College. It's allegedly a Catholic school. I have comments because it doesn't act like a Catholic school. So Benson and Stabler arrive. Um, There's an officer there and he tells them that this young couple found the victim. I take umbrage at couple. (laughs) It's just like a guy and a girl. Yeah. 
But the victim was found at 1.50 a.m. She is deceased. And then the kids called campus security. And we, they give us a little better look at the body. She's got bloody head. She looks roughed up in such a way. She's dirty. She's in a party dress. So she was clearly like at a party of some kind. Um, and the reason why they called SVU, no other reason other than that, she's not wearing any underwear. It's always about the underwear, isn't it? I don't know. I guess that's, I mean, it ends up working out, but once just, again, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, not necessary. Just put on underwear. So Stabler notes that there are cement like fragments around her wound. Maybe they're looking for a rock or a brick. And this, like, once again, it's like a dumb, dumb cop because they can never have a helpful cop on the scene. He's like, who's going to look for that? And they just kind of stare at him. They're like, you. They find the victim's ID on her person. Her name is Jean Gallagher. And I'm sorry, that just, what year is this? Well, 1990. So she was born in the, I don't know, the 80s. 80s. Yeah, that's still kind of a. She was born like 1982, perhaps, you know, potentially. Yes. So it's Jean Gallagher. She's a sophomore and she lives at Bowman Hall, which is on the campus. And apparently it was really not far from where Jean was found. So the officers, and by the officers, I mean Elliot and Olivia, ask, um, I'm going to call them the couple just for easiness. And they say, like, why were you guys out here? And she goes, well, we wanted privacy. And I go, why you didn't? What is what? With this campus? I'm going to say it later, but something about this campus. People like to do things outside. I, yeah. It must be a really beautiful want, campus. She wasn't interested in this guy. No. So why, why did, did they want, want privacy? privacy to talk? You're leading about him on. What? <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Station bullpen. So Benson thinks that she it's possible that there were two attackers, that Jean was attacked by two men. I, I don't know why. She doesn't give us any other. And Jeffries goes, I don't know. See how the legs are spread? That's disrespectful staging leads single doer to me. Monique is resplendent in another yellow vest. She Just killing it. Has literally only worn vests this whole time. Oh, yeah. Every episode. If I had her arms, I would wear vests every episode. True. I mean, you're right. I guess I'm, you know, maybe I'm just too high maintenance. If something works, it works. Um, Monique thinks that the staging suggests a, like one person. And then Cragen chimes in. So she was bashed in the head with a rock. And Stable replies, it's preliminary. We don't know. Everything is so preliminary. Yeah, everything's so <laughs> preliminary. Because they don't, they don't know. They... It would appear she was hit with like a rock of some kind, but they can't find the rock, which uh, that whole thing is like. So then Benson notes that the only thing that is not preliminary is that the victim had a blood alcohol content of triple the limit. Her BAC was 2.7. I love this because I wrote my kind of woman. And then Cragen comments that there was a time that he would have yearned for a woman who could drink like that. Honey, you should have come and hung out with my friend. Yeah, call me baby. Thursday through Saturday every day. We could have dated, I guess. Um, I also, I don't know. I must have been feeling salty that day because I wrote that. I thought it was disrespectful. <laughs> I like, mean, it she's is. dead. And they, well, and they make a thing about this alcohol thing. They made this, they were like trying to pin like some type of alcohol crime on everybody. I know. They're like, and you're drinking. It's, it's college. The drinking. And I'm like, yeah, at college. So weird. Jean got the booze at a party for the St. Raymond's basketball team. And this is when the gang starts getting into discussing this team that they've gone from a joke to the Sweet 16. I, Brittany Elizabeth Porter, hate college sports. They are so goddamn boring. So I don't know if the Sweet 16 is real. So Jeffrey's jokes that they bought their way up. Cragen's like, hey, watch it. That's my school. We learn here that Cragen is a, an alumni of St. Ray's. Uh, Munch and Cassidy have this little school 
brabble about whether or not you can buy your way up. You can, Cassidy, you beautiful idiot. At the end of all that, Craig tells Matt Cassidy and Munch, and this is a Cassidy and Munch episode. It, it really is. We get I, exclusively Munchity. Oh, yeah. They spend, they probably get like 50-50 screen time, maybe 60-40 with um, Olivia and Elliot. For yeah. once, it kind of skews more them. They're trying to, they're definitely trying to, and they, they chill Munch out. They chill him out a lot. They hose him down. And of course, tune up Cassidy to they, make up for it. This asshole. There's a lot. So Cragen sends Munch and Cassidy uh, to the school so that they can, quote, see how Jean spent her evenings. Dun, dun, dun. We're still at St. Raymond's, but now Munch and, or we are now at St. Raymond's. Munch and Cassidy are talking to, I guess, the headmaster, but also the main priest. I wrote the priest. Question mark, question mark, question mark. You are right. He is a priest. Um, is- and I've never been to a Catholic college. I am Catholic. But like, I guess I don't think he's like the headmaster. I think he's just like. He's some sort of administrator. Right. Then that's he says that. He goes, I'm an administrator. So he didn't. He says he didn't really know Jean, but that she had a reputation on campus for being like kind of a stellar standout kid. You know, Jean Gallagher. Yeah, she's a great student. Um, everyone loved her. They're currently organizing a celebration of her life. Yeah. And they're also going to do their own investigation as universities are wont to do. The most useless investigations on the planet are p- conducted by universities. Munch is like, yeah, that's great. Um, we need to talk to people that actually knew her. I-, I love him here. I know. He was like, I don't really even know why we're talking to you. Dear- zero respect for the father. Um, and Munch, or no, Cassidy slides in a comment about how he knows that the victim was very drunk when she was found. And the priest, is not, the priest is like, yep, uh-huh, totally, we get that. Um, yeah. I'm really going to recommend alcohol counseling. And they're like, yeah, sure, Jan. This is the weirdest Catholic <laughs> school on the planet. Um, so he mentions that Jean was in this on-campus club or whatever. I'm going to keep saying or whatever whenever I reference this. Um, an auxiliary women's committee to support the basketball team. But it's called like a hostess club. Yeah, it's the hostesses. And that he, they should go speak to, I guess, the president of the hostesses to see what all Jean was interested in. I don't know. So I had never heard of this before. This is a real thing that happens at colleges. Um, I guess it's been around since the 1960s. And so basically the NCAA prohibits playing, paying the players for their time, even though they make money off of their jerseys and selling tickets to the game. So the colleges need to figure a way to entice players to come to their school so sometimes I mean like it's like working with Nick Saban who's like a legend so some for the, some schools that works but other schools use these hostesses most of them are probably normal and it's just like a group of girls and I think not even always girls sometimes girls and guys that will show prospective prospective players around and just be like an advocate for the school but there have been full-on scandals where yes hostesses get sexually assaulted and yes hostesses have sex with prospective players to get them to go to the school okay because i wrote that in the section later where we address this i was like so is this prostitution which it basically is is, but but as a catholic who grew up with people who went to catholic schools like those really 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 catholic friends you have in high school i just can't picture this happening at any of the schools i ended up going to like I, the schools, they still had non-co-ed dorms at most Catholic, most Catholic, most Catholic schools. So, so this is a weird. To my knowledge, Boston College, Villanova, and Notre Dame are all considered Catholic colleges or 
are oh. Catholic colleges. I don't know. Okay, in that case, I don't. I guess they are, but like not. Yeah. So I'm just comparing St. Ray's to those three because they have D1 athletics. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. I feel like at Notre Dame, they might have a priest on on their person, but I feel like at B, it's probably more supposed to be like Notre Dame maybe then. Like to the point where a priest is like walking around making decisions. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think they leaned more heavily into that to just add another layer of to like, the episode. Yeah. Dun dun. Now we're at the hostess committee clubhouse or whatever. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck we are, but there's some lady at a desk and she has a flower pin. Remember those? She needed to brush her hair. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like her hair, it was sticking up and it looked like a dog had come by and just given her, or a cow, I should say, a literal cowlick. I, as someone who has a cowlick, I was like, sweetie, brush your hair. Ugh, I have one too. That's why I can't keep short hair. She explains that the hostess committee is a tradition that goes back 50 years which is kind of what I just said. And they provide tutoring, logistical support, and they'll even iron their clothing. Mm, sounds disgusting and sexist. Yeah, it sounds like these hostesses kind of like tend, it's sort of like, it sounds like a fraternity sorority deal where you know how the sororities are expected to like do stuff with certain fraternities because weird stuff. Because reasons. Yeah, because reasons. Uh, maybe it's like that. It sounds like they're kind of, it's not just for prospective students, it sounds like. So Munch asks about this party, and the woman just kind of laughs it all and says that um, these players and the hostesses, they work hard. Um, Cassidy asks about Jean, and she, it, they say that she's a star hostess, and this party was made up of players, potential players, coaches, and important alumni. Jean was there early to help set up, and she left before the party ended. But the, um, this lady tells them that they sh really should probably go talk to her roommate, Shelley Brown. Again, I feel like everyone here is exact, existing in the 1950s. Jean Gallagher and Shelley Brown were hostesses, star hostesses. I picture them more as like college co-eds in the 50s with like the sweaters and the little like. Yeah. And the little knit skirts. Yeah, exactly. Like being like, are you going to go help Brandon study later? Huh? No, Jeff needs me to shine his shoes. Now question, are the hostesses cheerleaders? No, I think that because Stabler says something like that, but I think that was just him being kind of like rude. Oh, okay. Like, oh, it's a lot for cheerleading. I'd rather be a cheerleader than this. Yeah. Cheerleaders aren't expected to do fucking laundry. Uh, so while they're talking, you know, she says, go talk to Shelly Brown. And then a 45-year-old man waltzes <laughs> in. <laughs> and he just throws himself on the couch. And I'm like, is this guy fucking the head mistress hostess lady? Because that's the body language. He just like... Like Paige says throws, I have that in my notes too, because he truly just with reckless abandon throws his full body weight onto this couch behind Munch and Cassidy. He like rolls, you know, when you're a kid and you roll over the other side of the couch so that you kind of plop on the couch like, uh, that's just what this 45 year old man does. So Munch and Cassidy um, hate him on site. They hate him on site. Um, he's also not really 45. He's uh, he's supposed to be like. 20 maybe 19, a junior 20. or senior yeah. yeah and his name is riley cougar and he's on the basketball team and apparently he's big shot because the way he's rolling around in here riley cougar is a sick name sick name i'm <laughs> so sorry <laughs> riley cougar is an asshole but that is a killer name that's the type of name where if I, I might do that with my kids i'll be like i'm just gonna will you into greatness by naming you something really cool because i'm a psycho and i name my kids before they're born Everyone does that. Good. Okay. I yeah, know that's so normal. If you don't do that, you don't even love your kids. You advance. don't love your kids. You don't love your partner and you don't love yourself. Yeah. So all of you with kids being like, oh, I love my kids. If you didn't 
pick your kids' names before they were even born. You don't love them. You're a sick. You're a sick person. You're a sick <laughs> bitch. No, <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. So Casty is like Riley Cougar. Cool name, asshole. Were you drinking? And the forty-year-old's like, Why do you care? Which is a good question. I, I don't like Riley. He's a dick. But like, they really gave him the business for no reason in the scene. They walk into his clubhouse where he's he's comfortable enough to be lounging as such. And they start calling him like a drunk, being like, you're terrible at basketball. And we hear you're an all around bad person. Yeah. Munch is like, you're really famous for slam dunks and getting hammered. And I'm like, you don't I don't know you don't. He said that he goes, you don't even know me. And they're like, <laughs> So at first I was like, how does he know so much about him? And then I'm like, oh, wait, because he follows college basketball. Yeah. So he's a local celebrity. Cassidy asks if Riley was at the party where Gene ended up dying. Riley says he was, but kind of like, so. And Cassidy asks if anyone had a grudge against Gene. Riley shrugs and says that Gene had been arguing with another one of the basketball players named Chuck Mosley during the party. Um, And then Mama Debbie, the little Debbie's hostess president, (laughs) pipes in and goes, Riley, you're talking about another teammate, which is kind of random. But then Munch goes, hey, we weren't talking to you. (laughs) And he literally says, he goes, he's like, hey, we weren't talking to you. Munch hates Catholics, confirmed. So Riley kind of goes on to, okay, so they try to make, there's this subplot in this where they make, it's a race, racism subplot. Um, I think it's done, again, very clunkily. They do some things right and they do some things wrong. and here. You have Riley being this like shitty dude, bro, because they ask. They ask about Chuck and he's like, well, you know how those people are. He's just really rude through this entire. This scene is meant to establish that there is bigotry and prejudice in the school among the white and black basketball players, but also the school at large. So Riley makes a bunch of crude references to Chuck's race and where he comes from. Um, And Munch defends. He says. As opposed to what? Suburban, rich suburban white boys who use their daddy's money to get away with everything. Riley Cougar is just stuffing fucking cookies in his mouth and he just has a shit eating grin on his face. He's like, yeah. The only other thing to note is that Riley does have an alibi. He says that um, they're asking him about the party and he left before Gene did and he went to, quote unquote, some alumni's guy house and met the mayor. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Munch and Cassidy. We're still with Munch and Cassidy. Oh, I, I know. We spent a lot of times with them. Yeah. And I would say it's really good for them, but it's only really good for Munch for once. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> they switch they switch gears here and Munch is the superstar. So Munch and Cassidy enter on Chuck and his friends playing basketball um, at a court that's off campus. Uh, so they're familiar with Chuck as well because he, too, is a star basketball player from St. Ma- Raymond's. And they start asking him questions about Gene's death. And Chuck Dooley asks if they had bothered to ask any of the white students before coming up to interrogate him. So that's when Cassidy becomes very hostile, very aggressive, very unnecessarily with Chuck. And he, too, makes some very. He does like he. I don't even know how to describe it. He speaks like super disrespectfully. It's yeah. He makes comments about the microaggressive comments about Chuck's race. He was also aggressive. Chuck tries to kind of like skirt this conversation with them. Cassidy grabs him by the jersey and pulls him back yes which get your hands off of him exactly aggressive he cassidy is aggressive from top to bottom in this scene and 
again, I feel it was super clunky, but I also feel it was the writer's attempt to establish the very real issues of police brutality, prejudice, bigotry against the black community. So I think that's what they were doing here. But again, it just it's clunky. So Munch pulls Chuck aside and he's like, listen, you can come with us now or I'm going to handcuff you to the fence and wait for a car to come get you. That sounds really threatening. But like the way this happens, it doesn't really sound threatening for Munch. He's just kind of like kind of letting this is what we're going to this is what has to happen. So right. Pick, pick what you want. Which I think I wrote the comment, why, why would that have been necessary for Chuck and not Riley? But also therein lies the issue that they're trying to establish here. Yep. So Munch asks uh, what Chuck's alibi was for the night that Gene died. And he said that after he left the party, he went home with his mother and they watched TV until about, I think, midnight or something. Um, no, Chuck left at 1.30 and when he got home, Conan O'Brien was on and he watched that with his mother. So he has an alibi starting at around... 1231 I think right. with his mother yes. so they ask where his mother is so that they can interview her um and she is on a bus to Louisiana visiting a sick relative which they're like oh that's so convenient and I'm like well sorry that we didn't know that Jean was gonna fucking die yeah and they're like what hospital if your mom is going to a hospital in another state do you know the name of the hospital dun 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 they're at the station so the gang confirms that Riley Cougar's alibi from the night before does check out they say it again um, so in theory, he couldn't have attacked Gene because he was at the mayor's house with alumnus or what have you. Chuck is on ice until they can confirm his alibi. Is that legal? No, again. I like, thought you could only hold someone for 24 hours. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I don't think they can do that without any. There's a couple of things in this episode that I'm like, wait, can they do that? Like yeah. evidence wise. So again, a little bit of without the order, we don't know if these things are legal or not. And I think that's how they got away with some of the dialogue, because once they started writing in the order scenes, they were like, oh, wait, that's not legal. We can't pretend. Yes. So Riley's alibi is confirmed. And then Stapler makes a comment that he's like, do you feel like the machine that is St. Ray's is throwing themselves in front of this investigation? And I'm like, not yet. No. <laughs> and again, before we discussed Notre Dame and BU, I, I literally wrote, I was like, I just can't wrap my head around the, uh, a Catholic school actually giving a shit enough about sports to intervene. So Cragen's like, well, why would they do that? Jean's a student. Oh, you sweet summer child. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> so uh, Benson says that they need to go talk to Jean's roommate, Susan Bowman. Dun, dun. So we're at Shelly and Jean's apartment. Shelly confirmed. I'm so sorry. I have a question. Yeah. So Shelly Brown is the girl from the beginning, yes? No. She, she looks like that girl. They look the exact same. Right. 15 years older than a college student should be. Are we 100% sure they're two different people? I swear to God that they I mean, I, were I, so lazy at casting that they just kept this girl. Why would they choose two girls that look so similar? You know, I was thinking that everyone kind of looked like that back then. Oh, that's true. You know, like just, well, except for Jane Gallagher. So I was confused because I was like, oh, it's the girl from the beginning. Why at the beginning did she not say, oh my God, that's Jean, my roommate. Why did they need to look at the ID? So technically, no, these are two separate people. Okay. Um, Understood. So we're at Shelly and Jean's apartment and Shelly confirms that she was once a member of the hostess club um, with Jean and that the girls also received perks from a school, which I call ho gifts. Yes. So she's explaining like the benefits of being a hostess. And then hostess. She, she kind of says what I said earlier, that the competition to recruit the best prospects from high school is really fierce. So the NCAA, that's the National Collegiate Athletic Association for people like me who had to look that up. 
crack down on more obvious benefits like tickets, cars, cash prizes. So St. Ray's, like a lot of real colleges, have done, have to find other ways. So they have these hostesses that will show these potential players a good time. They don't explicitly say that you should have sex with them, but you don't get the bennies if you don't get the recruits. And again, I, I'm just like, I can't believe this is a Catholic school because they just usually do not allow shit like this to Cash go down. Cash is king, though. No, it's true. I guess like once sports get involved. But yeah, so it, it is kind of like low-key prostitution. Um, so Shelly quit because fuck this noise, but Jean needed the money. They don't say why, but Jean needed the money. Uh, so she stuck with it and participated in these shenanigans. Um, so Stabler asked what Jean's deal was, basically. Uh, the night she was, he's like, "What's Jean's state of mind the last, the last few couple weeks?" And she's a shitty friend because she literally just goes <laughs> drunk. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, there's not, like if someone like said that about you to me, and like you had been drinking heavily the last few weeks, I would have been like, you know what? She like seemed like she was having a hard time. She was like, I would have said probably partying, not like <laughs> drunk. Yeah, she kind of was like, oh, "Thanks for asking." Drunk. Benton's like, "Well, why? Why was she so drunk?" And the roommate goes. I don't know. It's so weird. There was this one three-day celebration two months ago, and, you know, that was pretty crazy. And then after that, she was just, like, listless. She, she, she became, lost her spark. She, yeah, she lost her spark. She started drinking more, which I guess to me says you have a spark, personally. That's why I'm a bad friend. I'd be like, I don't know. She got more fun after that party. <laughs> she was so fun. Yeah, she was drinking all the time. It was great. Jean was awesome after that. So, I mean, we're no idiots, and we know what happened. But Shelly's like, I don't know what happened, but her parents might. Jean moved in with them for a few weeks after this game. Shelly, what the fuck do you think happened? Right. Shelly is not, she has zero attention to detail because if my good friend and roommate, she says we were close. Right. We're not like making this up. They were close friends. And it's just kind of what happened. So she's like, oh, I don't know what happened. Something, this three day celebration. Then she got weird, started drinking more and then moved in with her parents. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't bother asking either. Fuck you, Shelly. We honestly could skip this next scene where we find out from her parents that she was raped, but uh, I guess for I, full disclosure, we'll go through it. Yeah, done, done. This is a weird scene. They walk in, like, literally the the shades are drawn. There's no lights on, and her parents are just dressed like a Depeche Mode cover. Yeah, they're, like, both, like, staring off into space. The dad's like, Shelly was always a lively girl. And they ask what happened, and the dad kind of tries to lightly cover up. He goes, oh, she was stressed out. That's why she had to move back in with us and got weird. And then Olivia knows exactly who to needle on, and she turns to the mother and goes, we need to know what happened to Shelly. And then the mom looks and goes, a girl was raped. That's what happened to her. I hate every parent. Why? Our girl? That's yeah. not how you... The only parents I think I've liked so far was the not sex worker from Hysteria. Yeah, no, those parents were normal. They, they were, were like, cool. they like slapped the detectives around for being disrespectful. Loved it. We, I love them. You post a picture of your five year old and go, our girl graduated from kindergarten today. Not our girl was raped. It's like Jesus. <laughs> Thank okay. you, Mrs. Gallagher. Yes, please go back to posing for your Depeche Mode cover. Dun dun. Ellen and Liv are talking to the school therapist that we're just meeting, but we're supposed to believe that we've met her before, I think. Her name's Dr. Goodall, which I think I found out towards the end of the scene and then had to go back and add this in. But they basically come in at the, in the middle of a conversation. She seems to be some sort of counselor for the students. We don't know. Yeah, I think she sounds like she's a school therapist. So they ask her, they're, yeah, mid-conversation, they're like, you've got to tell us who raped Jean. And she's like, I don't know who raped Jean. They ask what the person looked like. 
And she's like, I don't know. All she said was that she is a bas- he was a basketball player. I don't know his name or any other details. So Olivia's like, kind of makes it seem like this woman's holding information from her. She's like, you've got to let us know what happened because he raped her and he deserves to be in jail. And the woman goes, she has no clue, still no clue who raped her. All she knows is that she had her hands full with Jean because after the rape, and I'm like, oh my God, all this information. The therapist says, three weeks after Jean was raped, her period was late. So she's dealing with a potential abortion. Her parents are in screaming denial and she started heavily drinking. So the, the counselor's like, I had my hands full. And we never hear anything else about this pregnancy. No, this is the... This, I, is, this is what I mean by how sloppy this episode was where right. I just... And we've actually discussed this outside of this podcast. We both really like this episode. So we're just being like purposefully nitpicky. But I felt like there were a lot of threads that didn't go anywhere, which in real life happens, but not in, I don't know, a syndicated television show. Right. And so before we even move into the next scene, I'll just clean up because this is the way I just we delivered it to you is the way it was delivered to us. Yeah. Um, so we find out in literally this short scene that Jean was raped two months ago. Her period was late. We don't know if she got an abortion. That's the last thing that comes up. Um, and that's all we get. We get no other details throughout the entire episode. It's so crazy. I actually forgot about this. I forgot about this scene because it's such a throwaway. Yeah. So I forgot all the information that came. Actually, we don't get any information from this whole freaking scene other than the fact. Frickin' look at me. Frickin'. I'm about to like have my own little like Christian podcast. Look at me like not swearing. All this rape on this Catholic campus. Frickin' frack. Frickin' frack. But. I'm a little confused because in a 40-minute show, every scene needs to mean something. The only thing we truly learn in this scene is that she got pregnant, and that never goes anywhere, so... Yeah, that's it. She doesn't know, and we... Well, okay. It comes up again, but we still have no details. (laughs) So, dun-dun, dun-dun, interrogation room at the station. So, Chuck is being held there while... They're they're trying to like find his mother basically to like <laughs> to ask her if he was really home watching TV when he said, which I feel like any mom, even if he is wasn't innocent, would say yeah, but whatever. I think that's why they don't believe her. But so Chuck is in the interrogation room. He's throwing crushed up paper in the wastebasket, you know, like basketball style. Cassidy comes in and swats it away because he's a fucking asshole. And then they ask Chuck again about Jean, and he's like, "I told you everything." They mentioned the party where Gene was raped two months ago. And Chuck says that I, I kind of was attracted to the way he was talking. And he's like kind of talk, trying to talk him down. He's like, I'm not surprised. That was one hell of an ugly party. But mm-hmm. Gene and I didn't meet until after that party. Cassidy makes gross remarks that we do not feel the need to repeat. Um, and then Chuck kind of turns to Munch because he's realizing that Cassidy's a moron. And he munches the voice of reason. Munch kind of at that point awkwardly and nerdily tests Chuck because he's like you and Gene met in a French literature class last semester and Chuck's like yeah and he's like oh that's Munch is like oh that's interesting communications social studies but Rambo and Chuck's like yeah and he like quotes a line from Rambo which I don't know so I can't I can't repeat but they they have a nice interaction Munch and Cassidy leave and Munch leaves this interaction believing in Chuck's innocence. Right. I mean, again, okay, now Chuck, I'm just going to go out. Chuck is innocent because I don't feel the need to pretend he's not. Yeah, um, he- Chuck's innocent, but it's sort of like Munch decides just from this one 
little interaction where he is a lit nerd that he's like, he didn't do it. Like, he didn't say anything that would have indicated he did or didn't. Munch is once again revealing that he's very much like an emotional detective. And if he doesn't like the person, he thinks they did it. And if he likes them, he's like, no, they didn't do it. He is right here, but he's right. But it was kind of he's (laughs) like, uh, he reads Rambo, so he definitely didn't do it. It's like, okay, Um, dun, dun. St. Raymond. So they're going to interview the professor of French literature where Chuck and Jean met last semester or this semester or whatever. His name is Professor Rousseau. Um, Rousseau is just talking about what an amazing player Chuck is. And in a few years, he's going to have a shoe named after him. Yeah. And they ask him. He also has a uh, teacher's aide in there who kind of co-signs this. She's like, Chuck's really smart. He took out books that I need to take out earlier. It's like, OK, great. Thank you, T.A. The professor is impressed that he's not like the other sports players who just expect to be given these good grades because they're good athletes. Um, They ask about Gene and Chuck, and the professor isn't under the impression that they knew each other. Um, So then they start asking about the other players, and he just talks about what a bore Riley Cougar is, just like a lazy, drunk piece of shit. He kind of implies, yeah, it was semi out of nowhere. Um, Well, he does ask about the other ones, but then... It's sort of like Rousseau has an idea of who they want to talk about. So he kind of just goes, oh, yeah, Chuck isn't like those other drunk, belligerent, boring, stupid players that are white. I think he actually yeah. said white players. Yeah, he's like, oh, the white players are assholes. Being like, Riley, look at Riley. He's a bad guy. Yeah, so. So they do. They go. So I write, yeah, BNS go talk to Riley. And I wrote, but why? And it's because they, for some reason, know that Riley raped Jean two months ago. Now that we're here, I, I, I don't know why they think that. They, they are right. They are right, but they don't explain how they're right. So basically this whole scene, they find... Kid, <laughs> you're going to love this. So they go in hot. They accuse him of Jean's rape. I write, he denies it. He looks 30. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He's so he does. old. He looks like their like, weird uncle who's playing basketball. They're like, oh, God, yeah, I let my uncle use my student badge, and now he's always here. They're just hassling him about potentially raping Gene two months ago, uh, which he obviously denies. And he says that campus police picked him up that night from that three-day weekend celebration. We get no details about how this rape did or did not occur. And we get no details on why they think He's the rapist. At all. They just go, yeah, you raped Gene two months ago. He goes, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I got picked up by campus security and they took us, they took me to their office to sleep it off. But they give him, they give us no details like why they think it's him, what night it was, where this party was. I assumed that if it was a party after a game, it potentially could have been like an away game. It sounded like they were on campus, but like they're it's like they're so weird about like the day and then they won't give us like the dates or like we saw you leaving her. Like, where was she to make? Because then basically it's implied now because Riley says I was with campus security. They're like, oh, that was a really quick alibi. Obviously, it's fake. But I'm like, what was the context? Why would they have thought like did campus security find him on top of her? And they're like, oh, my God, we got to help him cover this up. That's what I mean. There's like nothing for us. So this party happened three months ago, right? Allegedly. Yeah, two months ago. But it was a three-day celebration, remember? It's October. Why was there college basketball happening in August? So like I said, I don't follow, follow college sports, but my understanding is that they happen, you know, like I, see, during school. I'm letting you take the wheel with this because I don't, I don't know how to drive this boat. I don't know about college sports. Okay, so they, they say this game happened 
say a couple months ago. Yeah. It is October. So. Okay. So I went to the finals in March. So I think your season begins at the beginning ish of the school year. What is happening here? This is what we mean, guys. Like, it's just there. I'm so sorry. I just took us all on this wild goose chase. I could be totally wrong. Dun dun. Cragen's office. BNS tell Cragen that Riley Cougar raped Jean two months ago, as discussed, end quote, everybody supposedly knows about it, but nobody reported it. <laughs> Don't ask us any more about it because we have no more details because the writers didn't write it. <laughs> so they're like, all right, great. Um, can you use this inf- information? Bring him in on the suspicion of rape and murder. And they're like, well, we can't do that because he has this campus police alibi. And Cragen is suddenly very salty that the campus oh, police are covering for him. He's dead ass triggered by this <laughs> because he launches into very much as all of Cragen's rants are unprompted, if not by one sentence that is like tying in the whole theme. He is triggered, tells the story when he went to St. Ray's. Some rich kid stole the dean's car, drove it around. A sick drunk. ass Mustang, I must interject. Yeah, a sick ass Mustang. <laughs> um, drove the Mustang around town crashed into another car and broke the other driver's leg, but he got off scot-free because the campus security decided that he needed a second chance. So that is a crazy story, and I can't imagine that you could commit a felony and the regular police can't get involved, but I, yeah. And then Reagan reveals that the person who broke their leg in that accident was him. Have you ever seen the movie um, Almost Heroes with Matthew Perry and Chris Farley? <laughs> no, I'm already like... <laughs> So there's this scene. One night they're all around the fire and this ragtag crew are like telling stories. And this one guy is like, yeah, one time I convinced my cousin to eat this bowl of pudding and I had mixed all this sheep shit into the pudding. So my brother is eating this delicious bowl of sheep shit pudding. And I'm like, how is it? And the the brother or cousin is like, oh, it's delicious. Yum, yum. And he goes, but in truth, I have no brother. It was me. I ate the sheep shit pudding. That's Kragen. I'm sorry. I'm holding <laughs> in my lap that whole time. That's fucking Kragen telling all these stories. He's like, and in truth, there was no other driver. It was me. <laughs> I had my leg broken. <laughs> and in truth, the woman who died over the bogs of Florida was my wife, Marge. <laughs> there was no <laughs> other woman. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that whole thing is to say that Cragen has a massive grudge and beef with just campus security in general, but it's campus security at St. Ray's. And so that explains why. So I read this note on the SVU wiki that they, Cragen refers to this drunk driver who broke his leg as, I believe, Andrew Schlosser. Yeah, Andrew Schlosser. <laughs> so IMDb. In this next scene, we meet this campus security officer. He is credited as Schlosser. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. So this is an interesting shot. We're viewing this campus security office through bars, kind of like the um, gates that malls roll down when a store is closed. They're not like jail cell bars. They're like weird, yeah, like a no. weird gate. So Cragen is giving this officer what for. He is pissed. He sees he this guy has the logbook out where campus security wrote down that they picked up Riley Cougar, but it's written in different handwriting and in a different color ink as if it was like penned in later as an afterthought. So he's kind of giving this cop or this campus security uh, guy who is a retired cop. We find out later again in passing with no with no reason otherwise. Um, 
he's given in the business because he kind of knows that this guy lied. Again, yes. no clue how we know he lied. Uh, we have no details otherwise. But he gets it out of the campus security guy that they didn't actually end up picking up Riley at, and taking him to their office after Gene was raped. Riley said that he and Gene had been dating and that they got into an argument because Riley was breaking up with Gene and that essentially she threatened to cry rape on him if these cops, if this campus security didn't help Riley and come up with a fake alibi. Um, and the cop says that <laughs> he's like, a girl with a grudge can ruin a man's life whether he did something or not. I've seen it happen, he says. I've seen it happen. Calls it a classic he said, she said. Reagan is like, well, guess what? We're well past that. This is rape and murder. And it's actually very impressive. This guy's a good three to five inches taller than Cragen. I was going to say. Cragen is still just like, ugh, talking down to him. It's awesome. So the officer um, finally quietly goes, he was never there. I'm sorry. And Cragen goes, you should be. Yep. Mm-hmm. It sounds as though Gene never pursued anything so it's so weird to me that this cop is like yes i had to protect him when gene never even said anything right it seems like there's so much backstory on this rape that happened two months ago that we're just not getting like everybody seems to know the real story what happened i like how elliot and olivia were like yeah everyone knows that riley cougar did it except the stupid therapist and shelly brown both appear to not know yeah that it was riley that's what. Well, actually, Shelly didn't even know she, like anything had happened. No, Shelly had no clue that she had even been raped, apparently, and Shelley's- didn't even bother asking, frankly. <laughs> and it seemed like maybe they're trying to say the therapist did know, but she wouldn't say it because the school and like, you know, basketball is life or whatever. But dun dun, the Stabler house. We are back at Casa de Stabler. So they're cooking dinner. Maureen comes downstairs and she says, oh, I, I didn't know you were here. Daddy. 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 <laughs> they're flirting. They flirt throughout this whole entire episode. Oh, my God. Ew, no. They are flirting. Stabler is attracted to Maureen. <laughs> Paige, please. <laughs> please. Officer Agrella. <laughs> Officer Agrella, please. So Stabler wonders if she's ready to talk, and Maureen says no. And Stabler's like, great, well, go back upstairs. Maureen's like, I've been up there for days. Has she? I feel like it's been like It's only, it's, let's see, if they found Jean's body on Monday a.m., then it's only been two days. Yeah. Not even. No. I'm like, calm down, Maureen. It's only been um, two days. I will say he sent her to bed without supper. So much for caring about her health. I know. And she's teeny tiny. She's skinny mini. And so I'm surprised that all of a sudden now we don't give no fucks about Maureen potentially not eating. Go to bed without supper. So Kathy asks if he thinks he's handling this right. And he's like, yeah, I am. And she's like, well, I don't think you are. And she's like, well, what would have happened if my parents had done this? And Stabler's like, well, we wouldn't have had... Maureen. Okay. I have a question. Yes. How the fuck old are they supposed to be? <laughs> I, so if Maureen. Is like 14 or 15. Is 14 or 15. I, I don't think they were that young when Maureen was born. It strikes me as more like 18, 19. If they, if we're going by the actors' real ages, for them, for, for them to be the age that more, 14 years later, they would have been 24 years old. Because at the time, Stabler and Kathy were both like 38, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. Stabler's, I think, in his mid to late thirties. Uh, Christopher even Maloney right. is in his mid to late thirties. I'm pretty sure. So if we're supposed to believe that he's anywhere near the age he's supposed to be in real life, then they were like 24, which would have made Kathy and Stabler's parents weirdos who locked their 24 year olds yeah. up. Yeah. 
Now, I exist somewhere between Kathy and and Stabler for this. First oh, of yeah, all, for the parenting aspect. Okay. For the parenting. We differ. I think I think Kathy's being too lenient. I think being out at 2.30 at 15-year-old is a big fucking deal and lying about it is fucked and you do need to tell me like where the fuck you've been. I do think Stabler has gone in too hard. I think grounding forever. Also, Kathy is the primary parent. Kathy is home all the time. So Stabler really should have said, I'm going to talk to your mother and we're going to figure out what we're going to do about this. That's my problem. Like carrying out this huge, crazy punishment and then being like, hey, honey, I'm going to be at work all day. You have to carry out this crazy punishment that I am crazy and came up with. I I just wouldn't have done this. So I'm like, what does she do? Like, what is there to do? at two in the morning for a 15 year old oh well that's and that's the thing she will not tell them which makes me now like i'm on team this is too much but what the fuck were you doing what's the big secret yeah so you were doing something bad so by not telling them it's just like worse yeah like it's worse also your dad's a fucking detective if you were in his interrogation room he'd be like uh you have to tell us because if you were committing a murder we need to know that yeah so, like, why doesn't he ever think that she was committing a murder? Maybe she was. Maybe that's why he's mad. She probably killed Gene Gallagher. Guys. Wait a minute. We don't know where she was the night of Gene Gallagher's death. It was Maureen. Dude. Maureen killed Gene. Ma- Maureen killed Gene. Maureen killed Gene. 100%. <laughs> this is the name of our episode, by the way. Maureen killed Gene. Maureen killed Gene. <laughs> I'm going to text it to you right now. Maureen <laughs> killed Gene. Um, I'm probably not the best mom because I think I would have handled it like I would have been like, okay, you're not going to tell me you are grounded, but also you've just in general lost my trust. So now our relationship is different. I hit him with the psychological torment. I'd have been like, I just look at you different now because if you weren't doing anything bad, fine. But the fact that you're lying and being sneaky, it makes me think you were doing something like really gross. And I don't know. I can't can't look at you as the same person. I never got grounded. So I think I just I don't believe in it as a punishment. I agree. It's useless. But I am just kind of like. 2.30 in the morning on a school night, you thought you weren't going to get caught. Like, you came through. Are you fucking dumb? Are you dumb? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dun, dun. (laughs) Um, Okay, we're in the M. This was funny. (laughs) Oh, the the, the fucking M.E. I'm so glad we're almost done with her. She's kind of a bitch. She's kind of a bitch. And once again, it was one of those scenes where we did learn a lot of information, but it was fucking tucked in with all this ridiculous, quippy, nonsense dialogue. (laughs) So we're at the M.E.'s office, and Benson and Stabler knock on the M.E.'s door as she's sawing into a dead man. That's what I wrote down to her. I'm like, she's trying to saw into a corpse and she's like, excuse me, I'm very busy. Yeah, she looks, apparently she's just over fucking whelmed and Benson and Sailor looking for the DNA results that were, the DNA that was found on Jean's body. They want the results for it. And the Emmy says that she's still waiting for those results, um, but that she does know that the doer, why are they all saying Ew. that? Single doer, double doer, your doer. Anyway, this doer had a low sperm count. Stabler goes, beautiful. That's actually like super helpful information. So when are we going to have the rest of the DNA? She kind of rolls her eyes, mentions that she had to like miss the ballet or something. Guys, you work. You're not an accountant. I haven't liked her since Hysteria, which that's when she was really rude. She's like, wow, a health conscious hooker, a health conscious hooker. So I don't like her anymore. So I'm like, fuck you, bitch. Get us those samples now. I don't care that half your team has the flu. No one cares. Someone died. Yeah, Yeah, you're so annoying. You're annoying. We want Tamara Tooney. Yeah. She was so good. They gave her her own episode. Yeah. She's amazing. We can't wait. Fucking yeah. So done, done. Done, done. Uh, Bullpen. 
So principal, <laughs> the principal priest father and Al Sharpton <laughs> playing himself are at the station and they're both giving Craig in the business about this semen gathering because now they're gathering semen from Riley and Chuck to see if it's gonna like test for the thing you know yeah anyway they're gathering semen so Father Priest and Al Sharpton say that this is very much against both guys rights um and spiritual rights and Al Sharpton's making more sense because (laughs) he's saying that this is just not right that there's no reason they should be even collecting this semen sample they've got no they don't as far as I know you're right they don't have any evidence against either of these people (laughs) and Cragen who up until he told his traumatic story loved St. Ray's, but now he's, I think he must have forgotten about this story and now he remembered and now he's fucking pissed at St. Ray's. Yeah. He's like, I don't give a shit. Fucking now jerk off in these cups. So Riley, in response to them throwing the semen cups at him, goes, I can't do this. And Stabler says, did you have a fight with your right hand? Sure you can. <laughs> uh, so Cassidy leads Riley off. I'm so glad Cassidy is the one dealing with Riley. So Reverend Sharpton tells Chuck he doesn't have to do it, but Chuck kind of thinks about it, and he decides to go with Munch. He does look worried. And then he pulls Munch aside. He's like, can I, tr- can I trust you? And he does finally tell him that he was intimate with Jean. It was before the party. They were hanging out. He's like, she kissed me, and then she grabbed my hand. They it was made really love. nice. Yeah. He was very sweet about it. He was. Because he's I'm- actually a nice person. Yeah. Munch says in response to this, okay, so are you telling me that we are going to find something in these DNA samples? And Chuck says, well, no, that's the thing. We used a condom. So there won't be any DNA from Chuck in general because they used a condom. And it's actually really nice that he said this because Chuck didn't have to because Chuck and there wouldn't have been any DNA. He's just being truthful. Right. And later on, Craig mentions that Chuck withheld this information. I don't feel he was withholding it. I think that he was trying to treat Gene with some dignity and respect and not kiss and tell i think he was he was being a gentleman i think i don't think he was withholding i think that he thought i don't need to mention this it's not pertinent to anything it's not pertinent it makes him look bad and it's a personal it's personal right between him and gene exactly and he didn't know at that point that they did have semen dna and that's why he's kind of like confused like uh what so dun dun we're in court fucking the most useless court scene so far in that nothing happened, which is good for us, but also weird because what is this? So I'm not sure I understood this. The judge seems to be asking why the defendant isn't there. And Monique is like, he's dead, but in the same method as his victims. So what I forgot. Did I, hear? I forgot to go back and write this down in my notes, but at the very beginning in the first scene where they're doing the bullpen, like, oh, yeah, well, well, this is happening. This is happening. Cragen says to Jeffries, you in court today? And she goes, yep, headless Harry. It was something yes, like something headless about, Harry. Yeah. So, yes, in this scene, Jeffrey stands up and says to the judge that there won't be a need for a hearing today because the defendant was killed while he was in custody and he died the same manner of his victim. So, so I'm like, cut his head off. Right. I'm like, I, I wrote, I need more details. I, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, wait. This sounded like the most interesting, least annoying And the court judge case. was like, oh, great. We're adjourned. Smacks his gavel. I'm like. You didn't want to know what happened? If I was in the galley, I would have been like, excuse me. Can we hear more about this headless guy? I've got many questions. Yeah. Like, so how did he kill his victim and how did he die in the same way? What happened? He was in custody. Did another officer cut his head off? Is something going to happen to him? Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm from CNN. Will that help? Can you tell me? <laughs> so, Yeah. Jeffries pulls the district attorney aside and literally just starts talking about Gene's rape from two months ago and asks if it's possible to prosecute the 
doer. <laughs> Why not? The doer. Um, if the rape happened two months ago, there's no physical evidence and there's no just like eyewitnesses. No evidence the, in general. And the victim's deceased, so the victim can't tell the story. Exactly. Um, and the DA says that it would be difficult, but they could potentially get him on this thing called a hearsay law if they have a credible witness, uh, which Jeffrey says that they have the security guard slash decorated ex-cop slash potentially the guy who maimed um, Cragen. Um, dun, dun. So uh, Olivia and Elliot pull up to the college and Elliot randomly out of nowhere goes, man, does this bring back memories? And Olivia, like us, the audience is like, what? You what? didn't go here. Yeah. Elliot's like, I know, but it reminds me of how badly I wanted to go to a four-year school. And I'm like, aw. And then he said he wanted to go to this particular college. Everglades University. Everglades University. And lives like, why is that? And he goes, because it always made, it was like Rolling Stone or Maxim's list of schools with the best sexual temperature. <laughs> You're married. And how old are you? Olivia's just like, okay. Whatever. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I want to go there now, too. Me, too. Hit on some young men. So we're back with Professor Rousseau, and they ask him who was missing in class the day after Gene's murder. And he's being like a little cagey, like he's not really telling them anything. We also didn't like, I mean, it wasn't necessary, but we didn't really give any details about how this guy looks or acts. He's very like kind of ferrety looking. He's super French. So he's got the French accent and he sounds like they're making him into one of those like oozy French guys. You know? Oh, like, the actor who plays him has a sweet name that I didn't write down. Hold, please. He's also been in a couple of other Law and Orders. Oh, his name is Lothair Bluteau. Oh my God. I know. It's I'll pretty... blue your toe <laughs> Le- over Lothair. <laughs> I a love long us. episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We've long. been here. We've been here a while. Professor fucking oh Henri. God. God damn Henri. Um, Benson and Stabler ask Rousseau who was in his class the day after Gene was killed. So Rousseau said he doesn't know. Um, he's like, oh, I don't know. And they're like, wait, you don't know? And he goes, yeah, maybe just give me a name. I'm not doing his accent, but that is what he said. And they're they like, go, you don't take attendance? He's like, no. No, but ask me. Ask me someone. And they were like, okay, Chuck. And he goes, oh, yeah, uh, Chuck was in class. He wasn't acting like he was in mourning, allegedly. And he heavily implies that Chuck might have been hungover. So I'm glad that they said that this is weird because I thought it was weird too. I'm like, what the hell was this? I just kind of like, he suddenly is like not the best student. Um, and so Liv and Elle go outside after and they, they mirror this. Uh, they're like, yeah, that was strange because when we first asked about him, he was a star student, best guy in the world, didn't know Gene apparently. And now suddenly that they've asked him again, specifically about Chuck after he made them to say the name, that he's like, maybe not the best student kind of hung over. It seemed like a really quick flip. Yeah. So they believe Rousseau is covering up for something and they're like, he's always telling us like exactly what we want to hear. Which version of Chuck do you believe? Do you believe he's the star student or do you believe he's like this hungover slacker? Like, what are we supposed to believe with this guy? Right. And we actually, this is only the second time we're actually even meeting Rousseau. So we don't get that much time with him. So you really should have, if you didn't know that the first two times we met him, then it's confusing. So back at the station, dun dun. Dun dun. Jeffries has switched it, switched it up and she's wearing a navy sleeveless vest. I mean, why? If it ain't broke, don't, don't fix, fix it. it. That's why I always look so weird. I'm always trying to fix broke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeffries confirms that both Chuck and Riley's sperm counts are fine. Uh, so they don't have low sperm counts. So they are not the doer. She said, remember when, John? Like leaning into rib munch. And he's like, I could say the same to you. 
We're that tired. Was a sick burn. Go bone it out, you guys. I'm done. I'm yeah. done with them. I'm done. Go, no. go, go in the closet. Get it out of your system. I'm tired. I'm tired of your little jabs that I'm sure they're very heated. Yeah. Like, Cragen says that they can let Riley go because his alibi checked out, but they want to keep Chuck because he wasn't straightforward with sleeping with Gene slash um, they also need to still ask his mother if he was really with her that night. Um, and she's still coming back from Louisiana again. I she's on her way in and I'm like, she's I'm about her. to call the Reverend Sharpton because I think they are treading on Chuck's rights. I Why agree. is he still there? They're, I don't They're think pretty sure he didn't do it. They don't have any his physical evidence. Sperm doesn't match. Right. And send him home. And even like, oh, they didn't. He wasn't upfront about sleeping with Gene earlier in the night. I'm sorry. But like, once again, there's all these things that could have happened. I don't know. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he was wasted. You know, all this stuff that, that the school is just like, or not the school, that this investigation is like the weirdest shit that they're fixating on. And Cassidy, from the moment he met Chuck, has been so aggressive and antagonistic. Why would Chuck think that this was a safe group to tell that to? He's like, if I say this. That Cassidy guy is going to be like, oh, yeah, you fucked her. Well, you fucking yeah. killed her, too. Just yo, yo, away. yo. Because I'm saying horrible things. Yeah. You know? So no. I don't blame him at all. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Interrogation room. So Mrs. Mosley is finally in New York State again. Um, and she confirms that Chuck was home by 1 a.m. Gene was found at 1.50. And that he has a curfew because she's very strict with his schooling. And um, that she expects him to get all schooling type things done before any extracurriculars, including basketball and Cassidy's super rude here he's like you consider big time college basketball an extracurricular activity just in like the like disrespectful tone I'd be like she is your elder and she ignores Cassidy like she lets his remarks just roll off her back because he's an ass and instead she looks at Munch and tells him her son can be much more than a basketball player I respect this because Again, it's like, yeah, you can become famous from being a basketball player, but she's kind of being like, yeah, but like, that's not anything. (laughs) That's not a thing. I kind of love her. (laughs) I know. She was great. Munch leaves the room and confirms with Cragen, who's standing outside the interrogation room, that he doesn't believe that Chuck did this. And Cragen says, like we've been saying, they don't have any physical evidence. His alibi checks out and we can let Chuck go. Fucking finally. Chuck is finally off the fucking hook. It should have been like. Pages back in my notes. Pages ago. Finally, he's ridiculous. It was they only even brought him in because fucking Riley was like, oh, yeah, he was arguing with Gene that day. And they took that and ran. They took it and ran even without semen. Because a white man said that a black man was arguing with a white student. Yep. That's it. That's the only reason. Dun dun. Dun dun. So we are at St. Raymond's once more, and B and S are now talking to Shelly, to a reminder, Jean's roommate. Who looks um, like the girl from the beginning, but isn't. Right. Who, Charlotte Dennison. And it looks like she's moving out, I guess, or she's packing her car. Yeah, she's way. carrying a box out of a building, and she goes and puts it in the trunk of her car. And she tells them why on God's green fucking earth she didn't mention this earlier. We don't know. And she tells... Olivia and Elliot that Russo had started looking at Jean and it was making her super uncomfortable. Yeah. She I guess Shelley was in this French literature class with Chuck and Jean and pretty much it was like two weeks in Russo became what appears to be obsessed with Jean wouldn't stop looking at her and started following her around campus even like Jean would be in the library or the bookstore and all of a sudden he'd be there and Olivia's like oh well would she say anything and Shelley's like yeah and he'd be like oh sorry I just like to read or they were like did Jean ever call Rousseau out on it and she's like well what's she gonna stay like 
it's not it's not illegal to look at somebody and then stable goes yeah but stalking's illegal and shelly just goes i know she doesn't kind of like cover she's like girl i know girl i know it sounds like she didn't mention it before because she was like oh yeah i mean what are you gonna do like arrest someone for staring and she's basically like he's a tenured professor and they'd have to kill someone dun dun she like to lose their job it's kind of like Oh, all right. This fucking creepy French dude totally did it. Yeah. So now we know, okay, this creepy low sperm count French dude definitely <laughs> did it. Done, done. Um, so Elliot and Liv. I keep like I keep wanting to call them like Benson and Liv or Stabler and it's Elliot. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Names are hard. But they're back with the uh the priest administrator principal guy thing. And he's saying, Oh, these situations once again. I'm saying once again, come down to the word of the student against that of a well-liked professor. So I'm like, oh, great. Another he said, she said where Gene wasn't believed. Yeah, he told he said that he spoke to Rousseau about his and he admits he's like in a basically like unrequited attentions towards other people and that Rousseau said he would chill out. So they yell at him. They uh, live in L kind of yell at the priest for not realizing how bad and dangerous and illegal stalking is to which i wrote um this is probably the first time i've ever heard a cop take stalking seriously i know i don't think ever in life now they take it seriously i mean you and i listen to true crime all the time and it's always like oh this woman called the cops like 20 times because her ex-boyfriend was stalking her and the cops are like oh that's not like really a law we can it's not a law we can follow through on so sorry Dun dun, Cragen's office. So Cragen is reading Rousseau's rap sheet to Abby Carmichael, and it says that in 1976, when Rousseau was a college student himself, he forced himself on another college girl from Sarah Lawrence. Um, the college student from Sarah Lawrence woke up in Rousseau's frat house, and apparently he was forcing Conalingus upon her because afterwards, Cragen says that the frat became nothing happened to Rousseau, like legally. But the frat became known as I ate a pie. Disgusting. Like, what the fuck? This episode was doing really good not being offensive. And then we got here. Yeah, that was super gross. Abby's like eating nuts or something as this is happening. And I'm like, what is she eating? Yeah, she's like chomping on them, too. She's like, she's like, these nuts taste good. And Rousseau's a bad guy. Any arrests happened during that time? And then Cragen doesn't answer that question. He goes, say the word. <laughs> and I'm like, she asked if he had been arrested. But no. So. Cragen says that since then he's racked up a long list of maybes. So I just it sounds like there have been a lot of complaints against him, but nothing ever substantiated. Yeah. And it sounds like so it doesn't sound like there's been other assaults, but he has an issue with stalking. Like he stalks people and follows them around campus. She's like, OK, you need to go get some physical evidence, search his home office, re-canvas the crime scene, get me the evidence. I need. And then Cragen looks at her and he's holding a knife. <laughs> he's holding a switchblade. And she gets up and walks away, takes her nuts to leave. And he goes, I think I'm falling in love with you, Abby Carmichael. As he like snaps his knife open. Yeah. I'm like, I don't think he meant it to be vaguely threatening, but I'm like. It was vaguely threatening. And again, I'm mentally ill because I'm like, that was kind of attractive. What's happening? We're spending too much time with these people. I know. I was like, oh. I'm losing. I'm no longer attracted to Stabler because I feel that he's attracted to his daughter. But I am randomly attracted to Munch and Cragen now. Oh, my God. You've read my mind. I'm so attracted to Munch in this episode. I know. No, that's the thing. That's why Brittany and I were getting so worked up about episodes one through five, Munch, because he was behaving disgustingly, and that is not how we know him. Yeah. This episode is how we know him. Oh, I'm glad you're back, Munch. Glad or here. Back. I guess this is the first time. Yeah. Welcome, Munch, because I don't know who that man was, that lady. 
Well, speaking of Elliot and his lover, Maureen, he's uh, dropping her off at school. Dude, they flirt this entire scene. (laughs) I don't care. They're fucking flirting. So he drops her off at school. She gets out of the car. And finally, he just kind of like gets out of the car and like runs after and stops her. He goes, Maureen. She's like, what? He goes, whatever. She goes, that's your idea of an apology? So... Elliot tells Maureen that he believes that she didn't do anything. He's still upset about the lying, but he, he knows she's innocent. He's a cop. He's seen what happens to innocent people all the time. And she says, I promise nothing did happen while I was out. What happened she then? Still won't. <laughs> I bet it was something super dumb. Like her and her friends like went to the park and like chased pigeons. And she's like, this is something I can never tell my father about. Maybe it's so embarrassingly lame that she just like doesn't want to. Dad. I mean, maybe because like, were you like huffing computer duster? Like, what the fuck was going on? Like, no. I, oh well, no. We've established she was oh, committing no, a murder. We forget she was killing Jean. I know. I'm so sorry. We've totally forgot about that already. No, that's why she can't know. And I think that she must have told Stabler because he let this go. He was like, mm-hmm. "All right, I'm letting go. You can eat with the family again." <laughs> even though you don't like it, and kind of apologize to each other. And thank God this stupid runner's done. Uh, he also reminds her that, you know, due to his job, as Brittany said, uh, that he deals with gross shit all day and that someday he might find her cut up in pieces in Jersey somewhere. And she goes, Daddy. <laughs> I know. I was like, that's a disturbing account, Stabler. Yeah, that Not was really. Daddy. Daddy. I know. And the way she was like, Daddy. Well, it's like, because she is herself a killer. And she's like, no, you're not going to find me. You're going to find the body I leave in Jersey. Yeah. You already found the body I left on St. Ray's campus. Daddy. 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 Dude. I mean, again, I've never. I stopped no calling alibi. my. I stopped calling my dad daddy. I think when I was eight. I swear I came out of the womb and was like, it's a little inappropriate. May I call you dad? Right. No, daddy doesn't. That's why it's now like kind of a sex thing. I think we're reclaiming it because it sounds creepy. It does. I'm going to tell my daughter. I'm going to be like, don't you call your dad. That's what I call daddy. <laughs> that's my daddy. Okay. That's your father. That is your father. That's your father <laughs> and my daddy. <laughs> done, done. Uh, so now we're at St. Ray's, but also Jean's crime scene is what I wrote. Jean's crime scene. Jean's crime scene where Maureen killed her. A memorial has been set up for Jean. It's like one of those like candles and teddy bears and posters like we love you, Jean. Oh, he doesn't like it. Yeah, I don't know if he doesn't like it because of it's like it's kind of like how when people do this on social media now, but or if it's because it's like God, because because one of the things wrote like you're in God's college now, Jean. Oh, my. That's like a, <laughs> that was a dumb fucking thing to write. I died laughing. Picture the prop person and they were like, hey, can you make some like um like memorial signs about this character, Jean, who died? And he's like, like, oh, tell me the background. They're like, oh, it's like a religious school. He's like, OK, you're in God's college now, Jean. And they're like, oh, fuck, good enough. Fucking throw it in there. No one's going to see that one. So they start to investigate the crime scene, Jean's crime scene. They start looking around for that murder weapon that they never found. And then finally, Stabler's like, well, what if it's a building? And Olivia's kind of like, what, Elliot? You're crazy. Yeah. And then they do some light, casual role playing. Mm-hmm. Spicy. He looks at her and goes, assailant or victim? And she goes, assailant. And then she like grabs Elliot by the shoulders and goes, so what you're trying to tell me is that maybe Gene hit the wall or the guy took the wall and hit it over Gene's head. He goes, well, yeah, kind of. And she, goes, she sees a set of stairs, like not even an inch behind her and goes, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. 
maybe she fell down these stairs and hit her head on the wall or the concrete ground. And Stabler's like, yes, bitch, that's what I was just fucking trying to say before you made fun of me. So they sort of settle on that this is probably what happened, that that uh, what Olivia said is probably what happened, that most likely Jean was pushed by her assailant and hit her head on the concrete floor, I'm thinking, or the wall. Yeah. I think the floor, probably. Um, rather than being hit with a brick or a rock that they couldn't find. Dun, dun. B&S are tailing Russo's TA from before, so they're walking like kind of from the hallway into Russo's office. Yes. So she denies that she's doing the, the SVU witness thing, being like, what are you talking about? He's a stellar guy. Like, meh, meh, meh. he never flirted with Gene. So she denies that there is any like weirdness going on between him and Gene. And Benson lets her know. She's like, listen, we're not going to bust you if you're padding his grade books because he's a creep and you're giving good grades to the pretty girls. Like, we don't care about that. We just want to look through some of his shit. Uh, and that's kind of what they're asking her, even though I don't know why they need her permission. So she hands over Russo's schedule and they start to examine it. And like the things that are in this schedule don't really make sense. Like there's like a history class or something or a jogging trail. And that's when they realize he hasn't written down his schedule. It's Jean's schedule. Even the TA right there, they gave her like a, I'm like, because they gave her a random. She looks at it. She goes, it's not him. It's her. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> Detective Becky. I know. Like, come T. join us. T.A. Becky. So that's when they realized that he wasn't, you know, like, they've been saying that he's been stalking her, but now they know he was, like, really, really, yeah. really stalking her. Um, and then, so they, they're they going to go find him. Oh, no, Becky lets them know. I think her name is Becky. Um, <laughs> We're going to call her Becky. Calling her that. Yeah. <laughs> Becky lets them know that, now that she believes them, uh, that Rousseau is teaching a class in the quad and that he should be there promptly on time because he he's... He's very prompt with his time. And I'm he like, is. well, yeah, he's a stalker. He yeah, knows exactly he where to, everyone. He has to good time management. Absolutely. You need to be on time when you're a stalker. And then as he, they're leaving, as Benson and Stabler are leaving, Benson, he's got the planner. And he turns around and just holds it up at Becky. Like, taking this. <laughs> <And <laughs> like, he's like cool. taking this with me. Yeah. So this is kind of the more scenes I need. Dun, dun. Ugh, they're on the quad. I hate this guy already. But he's also one of those quad teachers. Ugh. So he's reading French to his students, but he's laying on the ground in this very, like, laissez-faire kind of way that I find. When I see grown men laying down like that, it's really gross to me. I agree. It's like they're presenting themselves to me. It was very, like, creepy. It's like it's like when you go on a date with a guy and he starts to be like, oh, I'm um, actually really into wine. And he, like, he, they put on, like, a tone. It was very much like that. Like, he was, like, speaking French to them, laying there, like, looking at them all kind of meaningfully. Get out of your own movie. Olivia feels this energy that we feel and she just busts right in. She's like, all right. She kind of quotes a French book. And I'm like, why is everyone so well read? They arrest Rousseau. He's kind of cocky. He goes like, I'll why don't I speak to you after class? See, this is why I didn't do that the whole time. <laughs> um, and they're like, nah, we're taking you in now. And Olivia they arrest whips him. out the handcuffs. James Henri Rousseau, you are under arrest for the rape and murder of Jean Gallagher. And all the students are like, <gasps> they're literally in the background going, oh, Paige, how fucking psyched it would you and I have been if we were like walking through the quad one day and we saw one of the professors being arrested. Dun, 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 dun. Interrogation room. So this is we're at the tail end here. And I loved this scene. This is another one I really loved because it was classic law and order. It's it's good. It's good. So in the room, I'm just saying this because there's a lot of people in this room. In the room, we got Abby Carmichael. B&S, Cragen, Rousseau, his attorney, and then some random blonde lady in the corner that doesn't speak. Oh, yeah. 
There's a lot of randos. A lot I was of like, randos. you didn't have to pay that person. So Rousseau is no longer cocky. He looks terrified and he's like dissociating and I took a picture of it and I'm gonna show you oh my god he does look shell-shocked yeah he looks like they they just not not I mean I I get it it is shocking to be arrested for murder um but he looks like they just like killed a baby right in front of him oh yeah and then we're like what do you think about this he's a good actor so Olivia is really going in on him this is her day Mm -hmm. Um, and she's asking him if this whole thing feels like a bad French film noir and she even kind of calls out like some of the things that are happening in the room she's like a bunch of people standing around silent one person leaning in with cynical quips and I'm like oh like you're doing right now that's so funny I was like calm down Olivia (laughs) we always you've got him (laughs) whenever I'm like team Olivia you're like I don't like how she's acting today (laughs) like I mean she's right this she's right Stabler and Benson tell Rousseau that they have his semen from Jean's body, uh, and when they take his blood, they will know that it's a match, um, because they know. So the defense attorney, he says to Olivia, come on, miss, you're badgering my client. And Olivia retorts, it's detective, not miss, and we're not in court, counselor, we're in my house. So why don't you save your lawyering for someone who gives a damn? I did love that. Shit. So- um, Benson and Stabler start to go in on him with their account of what they think happened. And all of a sudden, he starts to cry. And he's like, no, I didn't kill her. And Abby Carmichael's like, okay, well, you need to tell us what you mean. And the music starts. And this is a truly disturbing account. It's so classic Law and Order, too. Oh, my God. It's like, because the music starts, and he goes, I didn't kill her. She was already dead. Benson asks what he means. Rousseau goes on to say that the night of the party, he was following Jean and he saw Jean and Mosley have sex outside on campus and then enter the party. And he says that they were like weasels, like animals. You're literally stalking someone. Please never describe anyone fucking like weasels ever again. Professor Rousseau. Rousseau says he watched Jean through the window while she partied after the encounter with Mosley. When Jean exited the party, she tripped and lost her footing. And Rousseau says that she laughed the way she always laughs and tried to regain her balance, but ultimately fell again and hit the concrete hard. Yes. So Rousseau goes over to check her body and he says that he could tell she was already dead. And Benson asks, did you even check for a pulse? And he just says he could tell, which I say that's questionable. Yes. So that's kind of where they kind of leave us to start going, okay, is this really what happened? So Rousseau says that he carried Jean into the school garden and Abby starts to go, why? Why? She's nervous like we are right now. Because I think we have an idea. And Rousseau says with this very vacant but teary-eyed, shell-shocked look on his face. This guy's a really good actor. So I could make love to her. In this Sorry, universe. Everyone. Why do the men in this universe refer to making love as having outside sex? Why does everyone on this campus want to have sex outside? I know. Go inside. Everyone, the first couple, were like, oh, yeah, we wanted to go, like, find some privacy. Outdoors. Outdoors. Where anyone could have found us. And then Chuck, who is the only innocent person in this whole thing, said that he and Gene made love. But we didn't get any details when that happened. That's why I said they said they made love. They said they made love. But now we're finding that they kind of fucked right in front of the door of the party. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I pictured it like very like nice and tender and like in maybe Chuck or Jean's bedroom. No. No. Apparently he's outside where 
creepy McFrencherton can watch you like weasels. Like weasels. Like weasels, he says. So everyone in this room is just Robin tuning their face <laughs> off. Everyone is so grossed out. It was like Abby looks grossed. She leaves. The defense attorney looks grossed out. He leaves. And then after that happens, the camera pans. And in the corner this whole time, the priest has just been sitting there. Oh, yeah. He is revealed to have been sitting in the corner. And he is also just super disturbed. He goes, well, and like slaps his knees and goes, may God have mercy on your soul. Yeah. He loses all of his priest scruples. He kind of is just like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I am speechless at this moment. You have to pay for your own attorney. Oh, yeah. And take that up with God. Yeah. And Professor Russo was like, I make my peace with. No. What does he say? I've made my confession to God. To God. And the priest goes, well, make your peace with him then. I'm out. He like drops the mic and just walks out. Oh, it was a classic. I'm out. 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 I've defended you. And now you're telling me you had sex with a dead body. I'm out. Priest out. Outside interrogation room. Kind of a dun-dun, but not really. Um, Rousseau's attorney tells Abby and Cragen that if they drop the homicide charge, because they technically don't have any evidence of that. That he'll enter a plea for Rousseau, <laughs> sex with a dead person, which, as we know, and he goes on to confirm, is only uh, 364 days in jail. And he'll probably get a suspended sentence because no one cares about having sex with dead bodies, which is so weird. We find out that most likely this guy's going to get three years, Max. Yeah. Three years for having sex with a dead college student in a garden after she died. Like, what the Exactly. And so Abby looks at Craig and kind of and goes, who's the witness that saw him push her? And Craig and sort of like shugs, shrugs, because there is no witness. Yeah. Dun dun. This is the end. We cut to Mosley's house uh, and Munch and Cassidy are going to visit Chuck. And it looks like Chuck is packing up his stuff. His mom in here packing up some things. And it's because Chuck is now transferring to Tulane University in Louisiana. Yes. Um, Chuck's really discouraged right now. The scout from the Nuggets won't return his call. I guess some s- stupid sports commentator called him Problem Child 4. What a 90s reference. Um, he apparently lost a year of eligibility due to this investigation. So Munch tells Chuck that he's a huge fan of his. And Chuck's like, well, thanks. And I guess in another year, you can see me play again. And Munch apologizes to Chuck. He's like, you handled yourself like a man through this whole investigation. I apologize. On behalf of my people. I assume he means, means the police and not white people at large, but... Probably all of it. Probably both. Yeah, all of it. They shake hands. Cassidy tries to make some sort of handshake with him, but Cassidy's still forever a clown. His mom also tells Cassidy to shut up like twice. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> Munch mentions Riley Cougar, and Chuck says that it's fucked. Well, he didn't say that, but I am. That Riley got away with rape, uh, and that he's the one who's losing his scholarships, his opportunities. Munch says that's not true, that the grand jury has enough evidence to indict Riley on the charges of rape. And he also says, what goes around comes around. And Chuck looks at him and says, no, it doesn't. And he's right. Executive producer Dick Wolf. I thought that was an excellent ending. I did too. That's so true. Because it's true. The whole thing, it's like what goes around comes around. Like this whole episode has proven that absolutely no, it doesn't. Well, I was just like one of my big reflections has been that 20 years later, the world is still full of the Riley Cougars. So at the end of this, the we're kind of left to believe and the episode does that thing where you're they leave it open for us to decide. The detectives believe that Russo was stalking Gene, which is true, and that he saw Gene and Chuck having sex 
making love outside <laughs> on because that's what saint rays considers making love um and that he flew into a rage afterwards um waited for her outside of the party killed her when she came out alone like pushed her probably and then raped her um or could have been in any order honestly he could have like but I think they didn't say if there was if the rape happened after or before. Usually they can tell. Usually they can, and they didn't say. They didn't say. They, d- they didn't make a point to be like, oh, someone. Because usually rigor sets in, and they'll be like, oh, rigor set in, and then the, you know. Yeah, they, they sex didn't say, were- oh, the rape happened post-mortem. If I had to guess, and I know this is a fictional case, my thought would be that he was stalking her home. He saw her fall. He never checked. She probably was still somewhat alive during the assault. But she died because she did have a huge traumatic brain injury. I thought it was sad. His his description of her was that she tripped and laughed and then she fell again and died. It painted a picture like I can picture it happening. Yeah. No, that's why I loved that scene. I thought, again, he's a critter of a character, but the actor did a great job delivering those lines. It was creepy. You know, this was actually one of our best acted episodes so far. I don't really have any. I don't have any actor complaints. Like yeah. I have like a few jabs at the writing here and there and some of the continuity I feel like is a little confusing, but very well acted. Even the guy who was like, I think too old to play a college student. He did a good job though. I'm going to give it a B because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it, but there were discrepancies with the details that I probably wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't been taking notes. I will also give it a B. Um, my B is mostly based on the fact that out of what I've seen, they can do so much better. But it still overall had that really great scene at the end. It was an interesting mystery. They were able to tackle a lot of problems that are still really prevalent today. Like you, if you took out all the anything that dated this episode, like the clothes and all that, this could have been something that you put on TV now and people would have been like, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I will say next time we are going to be talking about Law and Order Special Victims Unit Season 1, Episode 7 uncivilized this one looks good because i read the log line and i think i remember the actor in it um i'm excited this one this one feels like it's going to be another classic one Ooh, i'm excited me too all right well thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week bye bye